Hey, you're listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and this is episode 89. And today we're going to be talking about churches and the crisis of decline with Andrew Root. Let's do this. Hey, everybody. Thank you guys so much once again for joining us. And we have a distinct pleasure of having Andrew Root back on our podcast. And we're going to be chatting about some of his books, one that he just came out earlier this year and one that's coming out a little bit later this year. And they are some of the best books to read right now, especially as it provides language and understanding for what's going on in churches. And if you guys haven't read any of the Secular Age series that he's written, definitely go out right now, drop some money, get that right now, and just read it through. You have three main books, and I, I don't know if this, we were kind of debating whether this recent book that came out, I think earlier this year, uh, Churches and the Crisis of Decline, was an official part of it. So Andrew, please answer this question for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me back and, you know, making the, the very exuberant pitch for people to drop money and, and buy the books. You know, the one that's coming out in October is about capitalism and things like that. So I don't know how <laughs> to feel about it, you know, but uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I actually have some people who are mad at me. They're like, I thought there were three volumes and now there's a fourth one. And, you know, is this a bait and switch or, or what? I don't know that. I think probably Baker will publish it or or list it. I think they are even on Amazon. If we're just going to keep with our capitalist theme here, <laughs> um, I think you know all the Jeff Bezos minions are uh, labeling it as Volume Four, Five, and then I think there's going to be a Volume Six. But really, they're interconnected mm. to the first three volumes. So in some ways, this is kind of the one that just came out. Churches in the Crisis of Decline is is pretty much like Volume. 3.2, if that makes sense. It's, mm. it's kind of a continuation of that. And then this uh, book that we call The Church After Innovation that will be out in October will kind of be like volume 2.2, if that makes sense. So it almost is like a uh -huh. mirror image. They work backwards, you know what I mean? And then this sixth one will kind of connect to the first volume in some ways. Um, so yeah, to get really weird and a little bit, maybe even potentially borderline arrogant i would say that these kind of fit like you know how solo fits in the star wars trilogy it is i told you i warned your listener that is a little bit of an arrogant assertion so it it is in the same universe but not quite you know fits those first three so you know like the first three are like the you know empire strikes back return of the jedi mm. on and on and then yes. uh, this one is kind of like you know solo or rogue one or something like that so hey, hey at least it's not matrix four you know like, okay let's oh, let's man. hope not i don't know we'll, we'll see <laughs> we'll see what people think maybe it is matrix four man. we could be in big trouble yeah you know you're gonna be the the george R. R. barton of you know christian books it'll just keep on going on and on <laughs> They'll make an HBO show about it, and then you'll be like, you know what? That's not the way I want to end it. And, you know, you can just write your own ending. There you oh. go. Yes, yes. Hey, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. As always, Bernard and Shure here. How you guys doing? Yo, yo. Hey. 
Hey, hey, it's good to be having this conversation and diving into these topics. But before we start, and this is just because for our long-term listeners, if you remember when Andrew was back on our podcast a while ago, probably a couple of years ago, one of the first things that we asked him back then was, what was he watching that was specifically speaking into kind of the cultural moment of the day? And back then you said Ozark and Ozarks is done and now it's it's over with, you know. And so right now, what what would you say is worth watching movie or TV wise that is speaking right into our cultural moment? Yeah, so uh my wife Car and I just finished the other night We Own These Streets, which is uh the kind of mini series from the guy who wrote The Wire and uh is is ba- about the Baltimore police oh. department. I think there there's six episodes. And uh, yeah, it was really good. It's super, super depressing because you just, it's a true story, actually, um, kind of like, I guess, dramatized uh, true story of what happened to the Baltimore Police Department and how deep the corruption were, went. And, uh, but done very much in that kind of uh, wire like uh, storytelling mode. And um, so I think it speaks into the moment just as we kind of are <laughs> existing in a time, at least here south of the border, um, of the Canadian border. I don't know how you guys feel in Canada, but. It just it feels like the institutions are so fragile that hold mm. our lives together, you know, whether it's policing or whether it's kind of economic systems or, you know, uh, whether it's you know, uh, courts. It just feels like everything is uh, uh, kind of quite fragile. So uh, mm-hmm. this this really points to that um, and is a really well done show. So that's yeah. what we just finished that. And uh, yeah, it was good. You know what? I feel like sometimes because you insert some of those experiences of watching things and movies and TV shows into your books as well. I would wonder what it would be like, like kind of being John Malkovich style and to buy a ticket into your brain. And then while you're watching something to see how you're processing it, because I wonder if, you know, your vast experience reading theologians and philosophers, if so much of your brain is firing on like, you know, a hundred miles an hour, making all these connection points. And then one day you just start writing a book and before you know it, you're done. And so I, I, I'd be really interested to know what goes on in your head when you're watching all these things. Yeah. You know, I think I'm a, a kind of classic uh, Gen X or raised on TV and like in, you know, I came of age when cable television arrived to the suburbs, you know what I mean? Like it, that was a, I remember the day that that cable television came to our suburb and and my family got it. And so that said, I mean, for me, television really is a kind of very passive activity that is a, a way of of relaxing. So I never go into watching anything thinking, OK, here we go. I got to find <laughs> I got to find intellectual connections or where are we going to find Heidegger or Hegel? And, and the, you know, I, I never try to. I never try to do that. I try to let that stuff just kind of fall in my lap. You know what I mean? Like just, just discover it. And, uh, and I, it seems like even the, the show I just referenced, like, wow, I, this guy watches a lot of sophisticated television. I, I, I'm also super into the, uh, the all-star challenge from the real world that's on Paramount plus right now. So I also <laughs> watch like garbage TV that is just to, to relax, you know, like oh, just to, you know, survive. I, I I binge Survivor a few weeks ago. This last season of Survivor, which is you know, there's, I suppose that stuff too finds its way into my writing. But really, it's there just to 
kind of turn off my brain and, and, uh, you know, uh, relax. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't think my brain fires too much, uh, other than when I'm watching sports and preparing to be disappointed as my team will oh, man. for sure lose. Cause I follow Minnesota teams and we always, you know, end up, <laughs> things end up going bad. So, um, yeah, I just, I try to let that stuff just kind of fall in my lap. And, and then it, when I go looking for stuff, like looking, oh, I need to find an analogy for a book or, particularly like thinking like, Oh, I need an example for a presentation. I almost can never find it, but when I'm just watching and all of a sudden, bam, there it is, you know, mm-hmm. then, it, then it, uh, yeah, those are pretty serendipitous and nice moments. This is an encouragement about your sports analogy. Our Maple Leaf hasn't, haven't won us a cup in like 40 years. So we kind of get some of it, although our Raptors won a couple of years back, but that's, uh, yeah, I know. That you guys, the Leafs have it. I'm, I'm a big Minnesota Wild fan, and uh, we both had a similar experience of having very good regular seasons, and then the seating of the NHL really screwed I, us both I, over. So, I miss the North Stars. I, so do I. I honestly, yeah. like I do grieve that, and and that's. Uh, I think I was a junior or senior in high school, or maybe right after I graduated, that they, they left for Dallas, and it's still it's still quite painful. And and we, let's be honest, like you know, you, I'm sure you have mainly Canadian listeners here, a lot of Canadian listeners. The Wild is a stupid name, and uh, anyone who's like <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> forty or you know forty or older does really grieve the North Stars and that N on the chest and those gold and and mm-hmm. green colors. So, um, but we have to take what we have to, what we, what we got. So classic, classic. Hey, since you brought up survivor and you're talking about teams winning and losing, I think this is a perfect segue into talking about churches and the crisis of decline. I think <laughs> this is a great way. Hey, Andrew you're professional, man, you, you are a professional podcast. We, we don't mess around. We don't mess around. <laughs> you know, this book in particular, how you, you are, by the way, a great storyteller. I, I think people will probably know you from the way in which you are exploring and dialoguing with like philosophers and theologians and sociologists. But the ways that you have told stories in your books, I think makes the point hit home so much more because you can relate it right back to your own context. But I'll have to say this book in particular, how you are examining the life of Pastor Karl Barth and how he approached his theology and how it formed and what it's saying specifically to us today is very valuable. I think especially over the pandemic as everything accelerated and perhaps some churches even saw decline a lot faster than they did see before. I think it's a very timely, timely book. I know you wrote at the, the beginning of it that you read, you wrote this during the pandemic and it's a pandemic baby, but there's so much in there. There's so much in there to, to wrestle with and to really absorb. So I just want to ask you right off the top of the bat, what have people's reactions been like to this book? Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, first of all, I think people's reactions, especially as it was kind of announced and started to to trickle out, people would. I got a few emails from people that were like, "Oh, this is good, great! I'm I'm so excited because I really think the church is in major decline too." And because the title really is a kind of clickbait title, you know, "Churches in the Crisis of Decline," which once you get into the book, you realize I think a huge issue for. Protestantism across North America is getting the crisis wrong and thinking that the crisis is the loss of resources, the loss of relevance. Therefore, the best pastors have to be the ones who can, you know, procure, gain, can achieve that 
those resources and and uh, kind of get members back or get budget lines up and try to make a, a, a pretty strong pitch that that's not the crisis we face, that the crisis really is how do we speak of a living God again? But so the title does uh, kind of um, deceive, I think, the reader a little bit in thinking that this is going to be a little bit of a woe is me book. And here it is again, you know, Protestant churches are hemorrhaging everything. And if we, if we don't do something radical and if we don't, if we don't take different actions and the, then the church will be dead in a, in a decade. And I think that that fear is real and, you know, in dark moments, I can feel that too, but I don't think there's any way really to address that without getting at a deeper, a, a deeper reality. And so, uh, the, the first reaction has been kind of misunderstanding what the crisis is, which is a kind of major point of, of the book. But, you know, then I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's some people who hate it, but I try to avoid those people, you know, like uh, <laughs> I, I, I just don't find that that part of social media to be very helpful. So uh, to my own psyche, really, my own spiritual state of being. So uh, I think the feedback has been good, but I, uh, I am not taking a 360 degree view of people's feedback. I'm just trying to keep my head down and put one foot in front of the other. But there's been some, uh, I've been honored by some people saying it's been quite helpful in this moment. And uh, so, yeah, I think, I think it's been positive. I guess that's the long answer to your good question. You know what? I would almost say, even if there's negative feedback, that in a way it somewhat validates in, in what you write about, because you talk a lot about kind of these frameworks that we are finding ourselves in and why particularly those frameworks are shaping our churches and the way in which we be- what we believe about the church and how we operate as the church and you know I would even say maybe when you f- see feedback that it seems like you've touched a nerve hopefully it gives you encouragement that like you're like you know what I should keep writing about this stuff <laughs> because it's really affecting and disrupting people and sometimes it's going to be weird and they're not going to get it, but this is important work. Yeah. Next time I get a couple of those reviews, I'll call you and you can give me that pep talk. <laughs> I'll give you a pep talk. Right. This is what we'll do. Yes. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. I think you're really right about that. It's sometimes hard not to read those reviews and then get really angry at the reviewer. Like, what? You don't see this? Or feel like, oh gosh, I wish I would have said things differently. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately... Ultimately, the feedback's been been positive so far. Yeah, I'm curious, like how you've interacted with Canadians about you know what you've written about because I find like reading your stuff like it really makes a lot of sense in the Canadian context yeah. as a kind of secular three society. Yeah, because I know you were in Hamilton. Like I met you in Hamilton. Yeah. Um, yeah, so yeah. a lot of Canadians. I think they were mostly Canadians. But yeah, just kind of curious if you have any any interactions and yeah. Um, you know, I think it's 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 been kind of this whole series. It's it's been interesting because I think, I mean, I think I may be overstating this a little bit, but it feels like I get a lot. Of, there's a lot of energy around the books in Canada and in the UK and in, in other places in the world. I, I sometimes feel like you know, uh, I mean, I think there's been plenty of Americans who have been really interested in it, but I think I think more directly kind of people outside of America kind of pick up on it or feel like it, it, it hooks their experience a little bit more directly. I think there's also just kind of cultural differences there. Like, you know, it's very kind of you to say that, you know, the, these books are built around good storytelling. They also are hard books. Like they're not easy books. And I'm really aware of that. Like, I, I think my writing is kind of like a, 
you know, like a clock with a bunch of different gears where I make the reader hold on to this gear and then that gear is going to hit the ne- next gear, the next idea. You know, it's not, it's very rarely a straight line that I'm kind of telling. There's multiple theories going on and, and stories at play. And so, you know, this is, this is potentially, we'll get some people mad at me probably here in America, but I think there's a way that American ministry, well, American pastors and those in ministry who expect things to be not easy, but to be able to read them quickly and kind of get on to doing it. And these are books that don't really serve themselves that way. Like they do really cause you to have to think and to reflect. And, and, um, and I found a little bit more patience for that for folks um, on the ground in ministry in Canada and in the UK than I've found in the States. And that's an overstatement, but um, I think that's, that's true. I, you know, there's a, there's a lot about these that are uh, very kind of uh, about these works that are kind of Canadian centric with Charles Taylor at the, at the front and, and kind of uh, European centric in some ways. I mean, I, I, I get a little insecure about that some, some days that a lot of my dialogue partners tend to be, on the continent or, um, in the UK in, in some ways. And, uh, uh, I don't know why that is. I think that those ideas have just been really generative. Um, so yeah, I, I, and I, I think that the illusions, the illusion that somehow, if you can just figure it out as a pastor, you could turn your church from, you know, eight people in a living room to 80,000 people, you know, in a huge church. That, that you can see how that like fits into the American dream in and of itself. You know what I mean? Like you could do it. If you just put your mind to it, you could make it happen. Um, but that really does exist within the American consciousness. And even as it's kind of dissipating, it's still there. So I think sometimes some Americans are, uh, aren't willing to really kind of face the depth of the secular age as much, uh, maybe, um, or just want to turn it into a problem that they can somehow innovate their way out of. And I think that, kind of Canadians and people in the UK kind of realize that there, there's no, there's no silver bullet out of this, that it, it's going to take a very different way of being. And it's going to take a very different way of thinking and, and acting in the world and a very different identity of a pastor. And I don't know, my, my maybe naive assumption is that, uh, that, that that's made more sense outside the States than within it. Yeah. I, I find, I find that the, the dialogue partners that we are looking for is now trying to get out of a lot of that popular level evangelical church uh, kind of give give me the system and then we'll run it and then the new operating system will just work itself out and and, and whatnot whether it's you know the the purpose driven or or the the Willow Creek style stuff so it, it's I like I really do think the diagnosis that you're on towards what's been going on in our you know, secular society in terms of what, what's happening. You talk about the imminent frame. You're giving us now language. And yes, it is harder. It is harder but uh, to, for the average lay person to understand. But it, it's giving us a better analysis of what's going on. And then even in this book, which is, I think what you're hitting on, and it's not like, you know, you're giving the magic bullet, but in a sense, you you are just bringing us back to a sense of, well, we are just waiting upon the the God who is at work in this world, yeah. the one who's already present. But so many times we want to, you know, the, the the impulse is to, oh, the church leader needs to fix this, you know, get yeah. this new thing going, creative thing, like you were mentioning in the book. So I do appreciate, I think even in, you know, my context, which I'm, you know, my church context is I'm, we're a large church with, that's in a, p, a purpose-driven framework. And we need to, instead of just thinking the framework will fix everything or just go back to or make a 2.0 of the framework or whatnot, but 
what does it look like to really listen to the Lord? And what does yeah. it look like to to do that together? And it's not an easy thing. That in itself is not an easy thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's quite a risky thing. And uh, you know, and that's kind of the the objective of picking up uh Carl Bart here too, is that you know, to ask that question, to be that preacher, to 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 lead a congregation into encounter with a God who is God is 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 a quite risky and disruptive reality. And and are we really open to that, or would we rather just kind of think of kind of levels of optimization and uh, you know forms of innovation that uh, that may be good and may be helpful in some ways, but the the real risky thing is to and I get and I really believe the real challenge is to help people respond again, hear again, encounter again the, the living God, and uh, for the for the pastor and the leader in ministry to kind of claim that God is. God and that God does still move and act in the world, but inside of an imminent frame, that, that is, that, that's tough. That, that, you know, all the, the kind of larger currents of society and just our imaginations inside of those go against that. And, and even in, even in communities where people are really committed to that, it's very easy for God not to be the God who is God, but God to become a kind of slogan or a product that the church sells. And, for the church to become more important than God. And so I, I, I stumbled into writing this book thinking I was going to write a kind of full-fledged ecclesiology. I, I actually thought I was going to do that with volume three, like volume three is going to be like a full-fledged ecclesiology and it didn't happen. And I'm not sure that churches in the crisis of the client is a full-fledged ecclesiology either, but I tried to get closer to it. And I do think kind of taking from Bart that there is this sense that to really get ourselves straight on what the church needs to be in the world is that the church does need to step back and not try to be the star of its own story. And um, I, I do think there's been a huge movement, mainly coming out of America, but, but other places as well, that has looked at the client and thought that the objective for the church, if the church is going to survive, is the church has to find its way to be a star of its own story. Like you have to have a story, you have to present that story, you have to tell people what, what goods they get from being part of your church. You know, your church needs a mission statement, your church needs all, all of, you know, a, a, good, a good marketing strategy, it needs all this stuff so that it can, can live out of that. And yet I think at, from a more theological perspective, if we really are the people who are waiting on a God who is God, then the church is part of the story, of course. The church is inseparable from the story, but the story, the real core of the story is God's act within the world. It, it, the star of the story is God. And, um, and the church doesn't even get to play supporting actor. Uh, the church isn't even the, like the second, the second on the call sheet. The church is really more the narrator of the story. And the, God's act is for the world. And the, the church's job is to narrate that story and to participate in that by pointing to it. But so often we think inside of the, the crisis of decline or our perception of the crisis of decline is like, we better get our story straight so we can, so we can sell that to our community and why they should come. Um, and it really does, the church becomes a kind of pseudo little business, you know, and I don't know, I know in, in Canada it's called, isn't it called Dragon's Den or something like that? And here it's called Shark Tank. Is that right? Do I have that right? Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. See, see how, see how deep my Canadian knowledge goes. You are well-versed. Yes. So like on Dragon's Den or on Shark Tank, you, you'll, Often here, at least the episodes I watch, and here again, this is taking us back to the beginning. This is the garbage TV I also watch, right? So, uh, is uh, you know, you'll hear like Mark Cuban will say, like, "I can't, I can't invest in this. It's a good product, but it's not a good business." Or the the second thing that will often happen is they'll say, "Well, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Tell us a little bit how you came up with this," which is to tell us the story. And those two really connect. That if you're gonna 
what's investable is a company that has a story. And the product almost never has a story. A product, the story of a product is actually usually quite boring. It's it's called the user's guide. You know what I mean? And anyone who reads user user's guides for a living is someone who needs a psychological intervention. Like, you know, like no one should say like my favorite genre is blender uh, user guides or something like that. You know, like that's just crazy. Or what about, what about Lego construction guides? You know, <laughs> there you go. There probably are people you can find who are super into those. I don't know. I guess, I guess there probably is a whole group on the internet that like really loves Ikea uh, instruction stuff. And, you know, if, again, if that's you, you're a masochist and we pray. For you. <laughs> um, I, I think the same as with Lego, man. Like I put together a lot of Lego stuff before my kids got old enough to do it on their own. And it was a nightmare. Like when you would miss step eight and then find yourself on, on page 11, and then you had to go back. That was the, that was the worst ever, but it is interesting that, you know, in, in the midst of decline, if the church if the church becomes its own story, if it becomes a star of its own story, then God becomes the product and almost God's story isn't as significant, you know, like, so when you think of Apple, what's interesting about Apple is the story of the company, not the story of the, I, the iPad or something, you know, like the, the story of the iPad is only interesting inside the story of the company and how they came up with this idea and, and, you know, how they won market share and things like that. And I do think that too often, is kind of analogous to the church that the church thinks our story is so important. We have to keep telling our story. We need to get our mission straight. And then the story of God kind of disappears and you can even start talking ad nauseum about God, but God isn't the actor in the world who is God is the product you're trying to sell people. And really what matters in the captivating story is what this church office offers, what this church is about, who, how this church started from eight people in a living room to, you know, 80,000 people, whatever that story might be, um, that becomes more captivating than the story of the God who frees Israel from Egypt and raises Jesus from the dead. And, uh, so in some ways, the church has to be, I think, in this time, it seems so counterintuitive, but needs to be less obsessed with its own story and more and more obsessed with how God acts in the world and how we discern that and how we narrate that. Hey, hey by the way, uh, maybe title for the sixth book or end of this second trilogy or, or 1.2 or whatever you want to. Yeah. The church is not the star. The church you know, is not the, the episode. Stars. This episode can be called The Church is Not the Star. Yeah, I. It's good. And we could pull that into the North Stars too and say, there yeah, we go. Yeah. And, Full circle. And, and, and the suffering of the cross in Andy's life is when the North Stars left and the early <laughs> went, the lost star. <laughs> it's his death experience. <laughs> there, that is the death experience. Kenosis. Yes. There that, we go. That is it. <laughs> and that's going to be it for our episode today. Thank you guys so much for listening in and joining this conversation. How are you wrestling with what Andy Root was talking about? We have a second part to our conversation, which is following the themes from this first book into his next book that is coming out very shortly called The Church After Innovation, questioning our obsession with work, creativity, and entrepreneurship. You definitely want to catch that one. If you haven't done so already, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our episode. Share with others who you think it might be helpful. That helps us to get this conversation out there. We'd also love to hear how you are continuing to process and internalize and contextualize all these things you're hearing. You could always reach us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or by email at contact.campodcast at gmail.com. 
That's contact.campodcast at gmail.com. Once again, you've been listening to the Canadian Asian Missional Podcast, and we hope you'll join us on this journey. See you next time.